Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are into this full second week of January, Monday of the first week in ordinary time as well. Does it feel like the year is already racing by? Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Welcome to The Inner Life, our program about spiritual direction here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, when you were a teenager starting to learn to drive, did you ever learn to drive a stick shift? They're becoming less common now, of course, but cars with a manual transmission, they're still out there. Do you remember how you had to find that sweet spot? You'd let up off the clutch, you'd depress the gas at the right moment. Otherwise, one of a couple things would happen. You'd either kill the car if you let off the clutch too quickly, or you'd hear the RPMs of the engine. They'd just shoot up if you pushed on the gas before the clutch was up enough where you engaged the motor. The first car that I had that I learned on, it was this old Toyota Corolla, and it had a stick shift. And I was 15 when I got my driver's license, the first time that I was able to drive legally. I didn't drive illegally, I'm not saying that, but the day after I got it, It was a Saturday, and my mom had some errands to run that morning. Me being eager to practice on the stick shift, I ended up offering, you know, what high schooler wakes up early on a Saturday, but I did. I got up, offered to drive my mom around all the different places she needed to go. We were out the door that morning, probably around 7.30, leaving our house, and we'd finished all of the different stops, all the different errands within a couple of hours. And during those couple of hours, I'd only killed the car a couple of times, I don't know, three, four, not too bad for first day of driving, trying to figure out how to use the clutch and the gas pedals. And since it was only around 9.30 that morning, I asked my mom, I said, hey, maybe we should go through the drive-thru at McDonald's. We'll get a couple breakfast sandwiches. I'd never been the driver going through and ordering. So there's a little bit of novelty for me. And my mom said, yeah, that's fine. And so we drove up. There were no cars in front of us. I was able to pull right up to the speaker. But while I was ordering, a car had pulled up behind me. And after I gave the order and the worker told me, go ahead and pull up to the window, I attempted to drive forward, but I killed the car one more time. And if you've ever done this, you know how it feels. It's that jittery kind of lurching that the vehicle does when you let up off the clutch too quickly. Well, I figured, okay, anybody can kill the car once. doesn't matter how experienced of a driver you are. You could do it once. And so I started it, and I tried again. I looked back in the rearview mirror, and now there's two cars behind us. And I killed the car again on that second try. I tried a third time now as the car, uh, a third car had pulled up behind me in the line there in the drive-thru, and I killed it again. And my mom, this whole time, she's just sitting there quietly. She's not saying anything. She's just observing me. And I could feel myself getting red in the face. I'm getting more and more flustered. So I start the car again. I turn the key. Now, this car had one of those emergency brakes 
that they're in between the two seats. You pull up on this lever and it engages the uh, emergency brake. I pulled up on it. I put the car in first gear while I had the clutch down, depressed. And with my right foot, I started to push down on the gas pedal and the RPMs, they shot way up. And then at the exact same moment, I let off the clutch while I disengaged the emergency brake, and we whipped around the corner of that McDonald's drive through maybe at about 30 miles an hour. And I screeched to a stop at the window, and my mom, she breaks out laughing. The woman at the window, she asks the obvious, oh, you're learning to drive a stick shift, huh? And I just kind of kept my head down. I said, yes, but embarrassed. I tried not to say anything. Just please just give me my food and let me go home. Now, we also lived in a town where there were a lot of hills. And when you're going up a hill, and if you get stopped at a light or a stop sign, and there's another car that's right behind you, you have to get that switch from the clutch to the gas pretty quickly. Otherwise, you're going to start rolling backwards. And I'd be nervous that I would, you know, just gently, but roll back into the car that's behind me. So over the next several weeks, I'd go and I'd pop a cassette into the player and in the car, and I'd go drive to this deserted section of road that was on a hill. And I'd point myself going up that hill, and I'd just spend maybe 15, 20 minutes listening to music, practicing starting and stopping, starting and stopping, just again and again. So I could get used to that feel of the car. So I wouldn't have those problems getting going when I was trying to drive up a hill after being stopped at a light or a stop sign. And it took a fair amount of work learning to drive that six shift, all the different things that went into play there. All these different obstacles that I kind of had to make it through before I was able to drive smoothly without having to think about the mechanics of my movements. But I eventually got there. And I think our spiritual life can be like that too. You know, there are all these things that we learn along the way. But if we aren't working at getting better, we can find ourselves stalled. Or we can get worried about some of those little details instead of enjoying the journey itself and all the things that God wants to show us along the way. And this is what we want to talk about today on The Inner Life, those obstacles that we face in our spiritual life, how we can get past them, how we can grow past them. And joining us is our spiritual director today, Father Marcel Tyone is back with us once again. He's a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. He's the pastor of St. Thomas More Catholic Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Uh, Father Tyone, so glad to have you back here on The Inner Life today. Great to be with you today and all our listeners. Happy New Year to everyone. Yes, Happy New Year to you. So, uh, did you have to go through the process of learning to drive a stick shift? I did. You know, your stories bring up a lot of memories, but both my first cars were stick shifts, and one was a station wagon. It was a stick shift, my first car, like 16 or so. It was a beat-up old car. And, but same thing, and then the Dodge called this tiny little car I had, but uh, I had many many PTSD memories when you're telling the stories of being at a traffic light on a hill. And, uh-huh. you know, and it's awful, right? You kind of, the car rolls back and you're almost hitting the car behind you. And if you start it, you think you're going to roll even further back. And I remember those, I'd forgotten about all those things till right now, but I too, like yourself, have, have gone through that process and it is, you saw it. And then I'll be honest, I love a stick shift now. I just find it's a, I love driving one. I think they're, they're more fun and engaged. Um, I have a priest friend that bought one actually recently. Um, so I don't have that, but I, I, once you kind of master it, I, I enjoy it. I think it's great. You go over to Europe, if you're ever traveling, almost all the rentals are that, which I love and, uh, just great. So, so it's a good analogy for what we're talking about today too. 
Well, and I also remember hearing that I think it was the last time that my wife looked into, you know, just checking to see auto insurance prices and uh, st- the, the manual transmission. That now has become even more of a theft deterrent here in the U.S. because fewer and fewer people are learning to drive on uh, stick shifts. But, uh, you know, again, like you say, that analogy, kind of all the different things that we might have to get through in our spiritual life so that we can make that progress, so that we don't get stalled on the side of the road, so to speak. You know, there are so many different areas that we could start with, but as I was thinking about it this morning, one area that might stand out the most to me is the time that we have. You know, there's that cliche, the great equalizer, the 24 hours of the day, but time or the lack thereof, time to focus on our spiritual growth, this seems like the toughest one for me personally. So many things that demand our time are out there. Um, Maybe we can just start there on, you know, there's only so much you can do in a day, and we have so many demands on our time. How do we reconcile those limited moments with knowing that we are stewards of all that God has given us, and we want to be able to give God back everything, but most of us probably work, most of us have to pay, you know, bills and take care of a mortgage or, you know, heating and electrical or all those different things, and then, you know, with you as a pastor, you've got demands on your time because of the things you're doing. Me as a, a husband and a father, I have demands that are placed on me just because of my family situation. So I think everybody has those moments where they look and say, I wish I had more time, but we just find ourselves with such limited opportunities. That's why I think two two things come to mind around that topic and this issue is that uh, you're right, time is limited. But I hopefully everyone listening, if we don't do it, we, we have sort of a targeted time of the day where if we're not retired or have more time on hands, but we, we target a time, a regular time of day to pray. Um, most people I know, busy moms and dads, busy pastors, the morning is always better. Certainly for me, if I don't get early, early morning prayer time, even my best intentions, just sometimes you get to the end of the day and I certainly pray at the end of the day, but not the same. I find I find mornings are the best place to really really make some regular time unless something extraordinary happens. So way before Mass, way before anything else, um, I, I enjoy it. If I don't have it, I feel stilted the rest of the day. So I, I think trying to find a time, again, if you have a little baby, you know, and, and what time the baby goes down, you know, kind of you know, families have routines depending on how many children and what the jobs are in the house. But I, I think there's that. I think trying to find a regular time. But the other thing is to not forget that we can speak to Jesus or our Heavenly Father anywhere. That means on our way to work, on our way to the market, you know, on a, you know, before we pay our bills sitting down, we'll be, we can kind of black out some social media time. I know, think of how often we spend time online today. Most people are online a lot. Sometimes they give you that report. At the end of the week, I just think it's bad marketing. You see how many, how many time, how much time you spend on your phone, your, your mm-hmm. laptop, and sort of, sort of overwhelmed by that, you know, and how much time do we spend? What if we get a report, you know, some, we can we can get a thing on our, on our phone, how many steps we walk and how much time we spent on there. But I wonder if we could really keep track in a week, you know, how many how many hits would Jesus get? How many times had we turned up to him or spoken to him or our Father in heaven? And how many minutes have we spent really trying to do meditation, prayer, spiritual reading, 
you know, and I think ebbs and flows in all of our lives. That's expected to happen. But but I think it's sort of a the, the time issue is a big one because I think we have to we make time for what we love and we sacrifice time for who we love. And isn't that true? The more we love someone, when we sacrifice, it doesn't hurt. So if someone asks us to do something like an act of charity or a favor for someone, and maybe maybe they're not our you know favorite person in the world, we're going to be like, oh, all right. And versus if we love someone, you know. There's no. It's funny how the experience of sacrificing time and effort for someone we love is a blessing. Um, it might be the same activity, same favor for someone we're really close to, and someone maybe not our favorite cup of tea. And and the experience is so different. And prayer has to be like that. Hopefully, we have a close intimacy with the Lord, and He's so close to us and such a friend to us that it's not sacrificing so much spending time with Him. I think that's that's maybe the underneath part of the time discussion, but. Just you know, he loves us so much, and he just wants us. I, one of my favorite prayer cards has beautiful picture of Jesus on it, and it says um, this simple line that I. It's funny, it, it just dropped on my floor yesterday for the show. But it says, "The one who contemplates me consoles me." Hmm. From Jesus' side of things, so contemplating Jesus consoles him. He's not alone in a, with our soul, and I, I found that very inspiring for prayer. Um, the one who contemplates me consoles me, that we're consoling Jesus when we're praying. And I think it's sort of a, we we get consoled, but it's a beautiful spirituality there that I think it certainly works for me, and, and it helps me out, kind of encourages me to keep contemplating him in, in different circumstances and parts of the day. So I think that's part of it, too, and that can help us, uh, like learning the stick shift, uh, get to a nice smooth ride and not be scared of lights and hills anymore in our in our prayer lives. That might be good, too. We're speaking with Father Marcel Taillon today about those obstacles that we face in our spiritual life, in our spiritual growth. What has been one of those obstacles that you have faced in your spiritual journey? And what has helped you get beyond that obstacle? What What is something that allowed you to move past that, whatever the difficulty was? Maybe you're facing that difficulty, that obstacle right now, and you'd like some advice or some encouragement. You can call in and join the program at 888-914-914-914-914-914, or you can email us, innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. And Father, going back to one of the things you said, you know, we can... Um, you know, even though we might not have time set aside, we can talk with Jesus. We can spend time in prayer almost any point throughout the day. Um, and one of the things that made me think of is sometimes we want those moments of prayer to be the ideal time, the ideal setting, no distractions, nothing else is happening, I'm able to. But, you know, I, I kind of think we shouldn't let the ideal get in the way of just practically what we can actually do in our day in those moments where, you know what, I can I can spend the next couple of minutes while I'm in traffic here, or I can spend this time while I'm waiting in a line, and I can just thank God for the day, or I can, you know, meditate on that thing that I read earlier, or that thing that I heard at Mass that the priest said during his homily this past Sunday. Those are the, the opportunities that we can let permeate throughout our day, and we don't have to be, get caught up and say, well, if it's not the ideal situation, I just can't do it at all. No, you're, you bring a great point, right? So, yeah, sometimes if we read the lives of the saints, too, some of the saints went through some kind of drier periods or periods where we don't get what you call consolations, ideal, incredible, intimate moment with God in prayer, and, and hopefully we get some of those sometimes. The Lord may allow that for us, but 
but I think being creative, um, certainly I, I, being in traffic, sometimes people will share with me a lot that they get, they'll confess that they're not good in traffic, that they lose their temper and they're really frustrated. And it's a sin that people commit in traffic. They can be uncharitable and upset with people the way they drive. And some of my parishioners have shown me they've, they've changed their whole routine because if someone cuts them off, they pray a Hail Mary for that person. And it's really calmed them down and sort of like they, they went to prayer and it sort of transformed this terrible thing that keeps happening, a, a sort of a, a vice in their own life. And their prayer life has really um, helped that. You know, one of the things when I grew up as a child, every time we heard a siren, my parents would pray a Hail Mary for the person they were going to get, the first responders and the first responders. So it's something I still do naturally, sort of like it's a, a natural response. But whenever you I mean, if you lived in Boston or downtown New York, it'd be probably difficult to do that. But every time we heard that, we, we'd pray. And uh, even those kind of things, praying for someone you see in the supermarket, trying to think of, like you said, something from the homily or from a relevant radio program, some kind of consolation. But I find even if we're not with anyone else, it's easy to pray for people around us, particularly people that look sad or despondent or discouraged. Sometimes people can't hide their own struggles, that their faces are the windows to the soul. And sometimes you can see someone's just either looks really sad or really upset. And, and we can often just commend that person to Jesus uh, in the store or at the gas station or at the drive through and uh, pray for the people that gives us the coffee in the window. And the whole day can be kind of monkish, so to speak. And, and I think it softens us too when uh, when people are in a bad mood or in a bad place, as maybe it's us some days, but hopefully it's not. And um, but these kind of things that you're talking about, we we don't need to always be in the ideal perfect, looking for the, the fifth mansion of the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the cellar we can pray, in the attic, in the hallway, in the garage. Uh, we don't all have to be in the mansion to do it. And I think I think that's the beauty of prayer. Um, Jesus allows us to, to pray anywhere and any time. And uh, that's a gift. I think it's a gift the Lord gives us. And we need to not only appreciate it, but sort of, I think, kind of live in it. And that, that might help us all. Well, so talking about, you know, time and limitations we have, uh, any other different obstacles that stand out to you? Maybe something you've faced in your life, Father, or maybe something that you've seen in the lives of your parishioners as you're a pastor, you know, something that different parishioners have made mention of that they find as kind of that roadblock for their progress in the spiritual life. Yeah, so probably one of the very common things that my good people share with me sometimes is that when something really big happens to them that's hard, you know, someone dies or some some big calamity comes their way, uh, people that are, have sort of a closeness with Jesus and they pray well, they almost like they can turn on themselves a little bit when something really bad happens because they're like in shock and they're trying to process what's happening, this big cross or big calamity in their family or something's happening. And I find it's a common strain. People that love Jesus and know Jesus and usually pray pretty well, they almost feel bad that they don't feel close to God at that moment because they're in such a shock or a, an anger about a different situation. And But I always tell them, you know, that's, you just speak to Jesus, just be honest with him how you feel. And they feel, they almost feel like they let God down because they're not having their regular prayer life. And I find that's a common thing in a lot of people I serve when, when something really difficult happens. They, they're prayer life will also, it feels like it's in a tailspin, but it's not. They're just going through a tailspin thing in life, and Christ is with them, but they're just so overwhelmed. And I find very good people that know the Lord, very good Catholics, tend to struggle when that happens. So they tend to sort of, they'll evaluate their own prayer life and give them a very negative, give themselves a negative grade. See, now I'm in this terrible thing, and now I don't, you know, I'm not 
praying like I was and uh, things are worse. And it's across the board. I say, well, you know, just just being with the Lord in this pain and suffering is is prayer. You know, it's not it's not so much that the regular routines are broken with these things, but but eventually they they all seem to get through that. And then hindsight's twenty twenty. They see the suffering's been redemptive, and and they were in fact praying. Sometimes, especially people with good prayer lives, I think. We're used to kind of a, a routine, and when that's broken by some very bad news or something going on that's anxiety-ridden, um, that that can be difficult for people. But I think there's all kinds of ways to pray. And we have to pray today, like this show we're listening to. All of us have things going on, good and difficult, and but the Lord wants us to share today with Him. Like, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, we just should be with the Lord today. But but I think that's a that's a hard thing. I've learned people. I when when something really bad happens. It's harder for people to pray as they normally do, especially if they had a good prayer or something. That could be a thing. I think other things, like in my own life, I think, you know, when I got called by Jesus to go to the seminary, I was a slow. Today's gospel was, you know, Peter, Paul, Andrew, John. They just dropped everything and left. I, I was not so blessed as they were. Jesus was calling me. But again, what was my hesitation? Afraid to lose my possessions, my house, my sort of like, you know, discerning to go into religious life or consecrated life. The seminary is a very... It's a very stress-filled sometimes, unless someone really gets a grace to just drop and go. Um, most of the people I walk with, it's not like that. Um, I think so. It's you know, I think in my own life, looking back, and I, I was, you'd ask God for guidance, but you know, you're still kind of hanging on to your own familiarities. You want the securities of the things you can control and know in your life, and certainly people, men and women, that discern vocations to religious life and priesthood go through that. And I think too. People that are dating each other, do I get married or not? Is this the moment I'm going to really, you know, seal the deal with this guy or gal and going to, you know, settle down and have a family? And I think discerning those things rather than deciding them is is an important part of our lives as followers, friends of Jesus. We have to discern, not decide things, especially big things. So that means we take time, keep praying about it, sometimes going to another person that prays well, either asking them to pray for us about that or, or also praying with them. Uh, sometimes that can be helpful to praying with other people around something can really bring a peace and a, a fortitude to be able to let go of things that are inhibiting our relationship with God. And today, you know, maybe just ask all of us on the show, what is, it, what is it, you know, I think sometimes a great way to pray is, Jesus, what do you want from me today? And not, this is what I would like you to do, Jesus. I want you to, Heavenly Father, I'd like this this fixed, this person healed, and this and this. And we we should say all those things. We have a lot of those. But I think the best prayer is to, you know, kneel down in our hearts or in our with our bodies and say, Hey, Jesus, I love you. I adore you. What do you want from me today? And then the rest of the day unfolds, living with God at the center and not our, our desire. So that's, that's how the prayer can also help. It can sort of relieve us from ourselves. And then it becomes sort of this beautiful, I think Bishop Barron calls it the theodrama. You live this very exciting life in Christ rather than our own life and having Christ help us, kind of keeping him a little bit outside of it in some way. So those those are other things, too, that can help us help us overcome obstacles with God. And uh, being, I think, really sharing our heart with Jesus around our relationships, right? Sometimes, sometimes the thing that can keep people away from God, I think, is unconfessed sins. We've all sure, done things sure. in our lives that we're embarrassed about. And I think sometimes I think we don't go deeper in our relationship with Jesus because we haven't confessed sort of like the big sins or the habitual sins. We just stop going to confession. We get discouraged. And, uh, you know, we always have a jealousy or whatever. whatever it could be, anything. And I think sometimes, you know, 
having the grace to really clean the house, just oh, just you breathe out, your soul breathes out, and it changes everything. It changes your prayer life. When we have a really a, what we call a good confession, it changes your prayer life. You know, if it helps you go to a priest you don't know or go behind the screen, it doesn't matter who it is, it's all Christ. But just to go and, and get that done, I think is, you know, that that's a, I think that's a big obstacle to a healthy prayer life. I, I found in walking with people, like they're they're really there's a true conversion. Some people go to mass all their life, and they never had a good confession, mm-hmm. and they have one, and it's extraordinary. Right. That would happen, Pope Francis. He had a big moment in his high school year, right? And I think there's several saints. They had a good confession in high school, and they changed their whole trajectory. And uh, I've seen that in some of our young people here well, too. Well, Father. Uh, Let's pick up on that. We need to take a short time out here, but um, let's also uh, throw out the phone number again. Uh, We're talking with Father Marcel Tyone today, a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island, pastor at St. Thomas More Catholic Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and today talking about those things that come up as those roadblocks, those obstacles, those difficulties in our life that keep us from making that progress in our spiritual journey. And what has been that for you? What were those obstacles, maybe that one specific one, that really kind of stopped you from making that progress? What helped you get beyond that? Or maybe you're facing that right now, and you'd like some encouragement, like some advice on where to go, where to turn, what to do. You can call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or email is at relevantradio.com. More to come right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Back to the inner life today, as we're talking about those obstacles that we face in the spiritual life. What has been one of those obstacles in your spiritual journey, and what helped you get past that, that difficulty, that obstacle, and help you look back and say, you know, God really was working with me that entire time. I can see now that even though it might have been difficult to get through it, now I'm closer than ever to Christ. Maybe you are going through that difficult moment right now and you'd like some advice on your spiritual journey. You can call in and talk with Father Tyone at 888-914-9149, And Father, before the break, you were talking about, you know, being able to make that good confession. And one of the things it made me think of is some of the relationships that we have in our lives and how those might be the things that can hold us back. One might be the fact that we, you know, even though we might go to confession, we're holding back on forgiveness. That might be one of the things that, you know, somebody maybe hurt us deeply and we find it difficult, maybe we find it impossible, or we just simply don't want to. We're just angry and hurt and we don't want to offer that forgiveness. And that's one of those things that Jesus warns us about. We need to forgive others uh, so that we can receive the forgiveness of God. Another relationship aspect could also be just a relationship that we hold on to, but it's with somebody who it's just not healthy for us spiritually. You know, they, it might not be that 
they directly are encouraging us to sin, but maybe they're just encouraging us to do things that aren't focused on growth and holiness. And that can be a relationship factor that just really um, stalls us in our spiritual growth. Well, I think you touch on a lot of great things that, you know, the, the, our prayer lives are highly impacted by our relationships with human beings, right? We all know that that's part of our lives, our call to love and to be like Christ, forgive like Christ. And I think it's, it's sometimes, depending on how deep the hurt is or the betrayal or whatever it might be, it's it's really hard for people. Um, it's sad, but as a priest, I hear so many stories where, you know, there's, there's a... A, a real break in a family, and sometimes, obviously, when, when funerals happen, you kind of get to know a family inside, and many of them have, you know, deep brokenness over many decades and a lot of hurts, and really, it, it all kind of comes out sometimes when the funeral happens, um, and you see that. You see, like, maybe there could have been some more work done on healing before this, you know, but but I have seen miracles happen in funeral planning where there are miracles where, where families are reconciled because of their focus on Jesus and, and their openness to the church's teaching and guidance in those times. But you're right. I mean, I think I think forgiveness is it's a necessary part of a broken world. If we look at a crucifix, we look at the Father's love in having Jesus do that for us. So that's the distinction of Catholicism. Christianity, it's God is love. And what does love look like in a broken world that's been redeemed? A forgiving God, a merciful God, a self-sacrificial, pouring out God. And I think something can be helpful is to maybe think, you know, like our Heavenly Father loves every human being profusely. He's created every one of us. And try to think of Him gazing at the person that we struggle with or struggle to forgive. Um, That's a good exercise in prayer. And sometimes we keep it horizontal between me and them or me and us, whatever. But I think kind of letting our imagination, our prayer life bring us to a place where we see the Father gazing on that person or persons that we struggle to love or to forgive. And that can be a segue, at least a small path forward uh, without having to meet that person yet. I think sort of that, I think getting to a place we ask the Holy Spirit for the gift to be able to pray for that person, to will their good in their relationship with God, not with us at first, and willing their good in their relationship with God. Can we let go of our pain and suffering just enough because we love Christ so much, we ask for the grace to just be able to pray for that person from a distance. That That's another step, another segue, another um, small path forward and around the hurt, right? So imagining God gazing at that person from heaven with mercy. I think praying, for, can, can we, good question, can I pray for that person as best I can? I, I know I walked with someone for years. They were very, very hurt and upset uh, over a job loss, and they had a, like really a, pretty much a hatred for the person that got rid of them at work. And uh, after like several years, he got, got to a place where he could actually pray for that person and then became healed of the anger through his prayer life, never having seen that person again. But it was a process of really challenging himself to pray for the person that it really had a hatred for, and then it became less hatred, less hatred. It's hard to have a hatred for someone we're praying for. So that's why we need to let the Lord, our prayer lives are also an answer to these struggles, and the Lord fills us, and he he makes us sort of slowly kind of brings the heart back to a softness in us. And our thoughts, our minds are also sometimes opposed to what God wants us to do. So God, Mm -hmm. you know, this doesn't mean everything... 
nothing that happened wasn't wrong or sinful, that it wasn't painful. That's not what this is doing. The invitation by Jesus in our prayer life is to to heal us of the wounds and the hurts of maybe people that have hurt or betrayed us. And likewise, maybe we're on someone's list, knowing or unknowingly. And, uh, sure. <laughs> that's why they yeah, celebrate. They, they're hurt know. by us, by something we did. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you wonder, right, if we all knew, I, I, sometimes I always get surprised in, in ministry, especially in public ministry, it's hard sometimes. You offend people by doing something or not doing something, saying something, not saying something, and then they they come and tell you, and you're like shocked because you had no idea right. at all. You know, and that's the problem when you're kind of out in public, maybe in a family gathering, or certainly clergy go through this, and people are very hurt, and they thought you didn't say hello to them, or you didn't, I mean, you really, it's really no purpose behind it, but they're carrying this around. So I'm sure all of us are on people's lists that we've heard, not even knowing. And I think, you know, that, that's the reality. We pray that they would come and tell us so we can apologize and heal up. But uh, but I, I think, yeah, Amanda, you know, interesting question. Yeah. How many how many people have we heard we don't know? We don't know. Right. Sometimes one little thing, or we didn't do something that someone expected, and they, they kind of step back from us in the family or at a gathering or at work. And so there's we, it's a great topic because I think it's something we all have to deal with, and and we need sometimes we know the person we struggle to forgive, but we might not have any imagination that, you know, we've done some hurting too. And I think sure. again, a lot of it's accidental or circumstantial. Since we can't, no one's the Christ, we can't be perfect, but I, but I think it's a helpful disposition to keep us, especially if you, maybe if someone in your life. It's a good question, right? Has someone told you you hurt them and you didn't know? And and then of course you're surprised and you apologize whatever you know what I'm saying I don't know if that's mm-hmm. happened to you or, mm-hmm. or people listening but sometimes that can also help us to be more forgiving for the person we can't forgive it gets us there a little better it's another another thing to focus on a little bit that helps again just soften us up and it takes time these things take time be patient everyone the Lord's so patient with us we have to be patient with ourselves I know we want but that also change kind of to, doing the hard work. to happen immediately yeah. we want uh, like God make me not be mad at this person right now uh, I'm praying for this That's yeah not fix all of my problems probably, you know? fix them immediately let me be perfect <laughs> and let me have no problems tomorrow I know uh, while we're also talking <laughs> about relationships Let's also talk about the marriage relationship. And what I'm thinking about here, this is something that, I mean, it's rather unpopular in our society, but I I think it's really worth talking about and being honest about, and that is the issue of artificial contraception. Because many times in marriages, there are couples who are not open to life, and if you and your spouse are using artificial contraception, first of all, you know, this is a sin, let's call it what it is. But this is also, by your actions you end up saying, I don't trust God to care for me and my family for the gift of whatever child that he wants to give to you. And that lack of trust, that can also really hold us back. Um, and, and I want to be clear here, too. You know, the Church allows for the practice of natural family planning, absolutely acknowledging there are times where it, it wouldn't be wise for the wife to be pregnant for health concerns or maybe other factors, financial factors. But I think we have to be kind of cautious that we don't use that as a way of trying to justify or rationalize our taking more control and not trusting God in all areas of our life, including being open to new life in in our families. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, artificial contraception brings a lot of different things into a marriage, right? It certainly divorces fertility from sexual intimacy. So that's, that's the first thing that everyone 
knows about, but that also affects the relationship. You know, over time, especially, I think we really we see that certainly walking with people today and in the world, and a lot of people don't understand that there's an FP and all that. But yeah, it really matters, you know. And I think uh, you know, I find again going to married couples. I one of the things that breaks my heart, you know, sometimes you hope and pray that both people, the husband and wife can pray together and hopefully they're both of faith. Like some people have the burden, their spouse doesn't have faith or is an atheist or has left practice. And it's always, that brings a whole nother set of issues into a marriage, of course, and a family. But if you do, if you're married to someone who also loves Christ or knows Christ, sometimes, you know, just simple praying together at home in the, in the right moment, I find can do amazing things. You know, couples have discovered praying together. If they go to mass, they might not pray at outside of mass, I know young couples now, they're the couple, you know, they went through something in their family and very stressful, not in their home, but extended family, tumultuous times on both sides of the family. And the husband and wife, first time, started to pray the rosary after the kids went to bed at night together, you know, probably like 45 years old. And they said it revolutionized and changed their whole relationship. They had, And it gave peace around all these other things they couldn't control in their extended families. And they ended up working themselves out, but they accidentally discovered the gift of praying together as a couple. And I think, you know, just bring that up, because I think that'll affect decisions on contraception, on parenting, on a lot of things, a very busy social media stressful world today. And and certainly people go to counseling sometimes that can help in different things, but, but the, you know, we call, we call Jesus right at Christmas, the, the Prince of Peace. And we call the Holy Spirit the Counselor, the Consoler, but the Counselor. Um, I think it's those titles mean something. The Divine Physician, mm, you know, yeah. um, these these kind of titles for God can help a marriage, for, of course. And I think approaching God under those titles, being aware of that, He wants peace, the Prince of Peace. He wants peace in in your marriage. He wants peace in your house. He wants to give it to you. And the, the more we draw closer to Him, and I think those decisions around you know family planning and you know, all those things, it, it all comes into it. So and, you know, the hard thing is that married couples have to make sure they, they do the hard work to communicate with each other and, and sort of kind of keep working on things and not not grow cold and not really stop. One person's just stop sharing altogether anything really important. Then they won't get some trouble coming, you know, and that's where we've got to kind of do the hard work and, and these other things. So we pray for everybody out there. We can pray for each other today. I think uh, if you're listening, you think that's you. The Lord's got this. He's, he sort of wants to keep everybody together and keep moving forward in a very healthy way. Hmm. Our spiritual director is Father Marcel Tayon, a priest in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. And today we're talking about those obstacles, those difficulties, those things that keep us from making that progress in our spiritual life. What has been that for you in your spiritual journey? And what has helped you to be able to move past that? Or maybe you're in the midst of it right now and you'd like some advice from Father Tyone. You can call in 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Thanks for joining us for The Inner Life today here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Our spiritual director is Father Marcel Tyone. 
pastor at St. Thomas More Catholic Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island, talking about those obstacles, those difficulties, those things that keep us from making that progress in the spiritual life and inviting your phone calls at 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. And Father, as we continue our conversation, um, one other area, you had mentioned this just in a brief uh, comment about your own journey being called into the priesthood. And you said, you know, oh, I'm not sure if I want to necessarily give up, you know, my house and, you know, all the things that I have here. And one of the things, I don't know if you saw this, but shortly before Christmas, the Babylon Bee, this is a website that has uh, satire of Christian and conservative news, but they posted a lengthy, about an hour and a half long interview with Elon Musk. And as of last week, Elon Musk had a reported net worth of over $300 billion, with a B, $300 billion. And in that interview he did with the Babylon Bee, he ended up making the comment, he said, quote, I agree with the principles that Jesus advocated. There's some great wisdom in the teachings of Jesus, and I agree with those teachings. And I thought, wow, that, that's really encouraging to hear him say that, somebody who is in the public, in the spotlight— But he's also talking about the same Jesus that said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for that man, that rich man, to enter uh, heaven. And I don't bring this up to try and pass any sort of judgment on Elon Musk or where his spiritual growth is. I actually raise the point because almost any one of us that are living in the U.S. is wealthy compared to anyone else in the rest of the world. According to one report uh, that the Washington Post uh, put up, After adjusting for the cost of living differences, a typical American still earns an income that is 10 times the income received by the typical person in the world. So that means almost all of us here in the U.S., we probably need to look at our attachment to money, to possessions, and do a very honest inventory of how that might be holding us back from growing closer to Christ. Yeah, if there's any attachment at all to anything, you know, a poor person that only has two shirts can be overly attached to one shirt, you know, and commit the same kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I think it's funny. I, I would say very wealthy people that are truly holy and have mastered the spiritual life and the life of Christ and giving to the poor are some of the holiest people I know. Um, and some of the poorest people I've ever met in the world are some of the holiest people I know. Sure. Um, if we have Christ and we really believe what the church teaches, right? I've always thought that gospel I always try to interpret in many ways. Certainly about money is one, and we need to make sure that's not getting in the way. It, people do get obsessed with making money in their careers to the neglect of their faith life, their theological formation, spiritually growing their children and religious education. That can all happen if someone's career has consumed them. I've seen people, I know attorneys, doctors, they, they're on this machine and they can't get off and it just affects everything. Even their marriages and families at times, it's stressful. Um, but I also see that gospel of the the rich man. We live in the richest country in the world, no doubt, but a Catholic that has the magisterium of the church, the church's teaching, all the saints, all the seven sacraments, the whole Bible, that's another form of wealth. We have that's all the graces sure. yeah. that other people don't have. And what if we have a bunch of good relationships right now? What if our marriage is good, our vocation is good, we have great friends? That's another wealth. So in other words, to one who's more is given, more is expected. So yes, I feel I live in a wealthy country. I'm wealthy with relationships, and I'm wealthy because I'm a Catholic, and I'm confirmed, and I know 
I have all the width and breadth of the church and our Lord's love available to me. So so God will expect more. And priesthood on top of that makes me a little, <laughs> a little scared sometimes. The responsibilities we've all been given. Someone's a mom or a dad. You know, the Lord has entrusted you with these children and grandchildren. And are we doing our best with that? So I think we have to be careful. But I, I find... I'm wealthy in a lot of ways, and that wealth does make me not anxious but concerned because how does that work out in my salvation? If someone's really lonely and they don't have any family or relatives or friends, you know, am I, am I going to notice that poverty because I don't have that if I'm loved by certain people? Um, and then people that don't have faith or got hurt along the way in the church or something. And, you know, I just had a great experience growing up Catholic all around, great priests, sisters, uh, people I knew. A very wealthy upbringing with faith formation, and and some people don't have that. So there's a poverty there. Can I, will I notice that poverty and get out of myself to go help alleviate that poverty of not knowing Jesus, which is the greatest poverty of all. Yeah. But I think, yeah. you know, hopefully that's great to hear Elon Musk those words. I didn't know that. I'll go look it up after the program. It's encouraging, um, if he knows Christ. Um, but I think I uh, have people of great. You know, they call them influencers now. There's social influencers in the society. Believe it or not, people do that for a living. They go online and try to get people to either buy things or follow things on TikTok and all this. They're, they're actually social influencers. And I think we need to be like that for the Lord. Are we holy influencers in our families and on our social media, in our conversations? Are we afraid to kind of influence the world for Christ? And, and that sometimes that'll require becoming poor in an area of my life where I'm knowingly wealthy. Again, relationships, money, faith, experiences of God, knowing God's grace. But I think, you know, I, used to, I think Catholics that are in the know, they know how blessed they are. Plus, we have the magisterium and all these sacramental encounters with Christ if we avail ourselves to them. I think to one who's more is given, more is expected. So Catholics who are practicing should really appear in some ways have different ideals and goals of people that don't. I mean, sure. for really living the faith. You know, and I think that's a great thing to ponder, you know? As you're talking about that, too, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned that, you know, dif the difficulty of a rich man entering heaven, quoting that passage from Jesus. But, uh, you know, like you said, the Catholics who have the resources, the sacraments, the fullness of the faith, the, the, the um, catechism, the magisterium of the Church, one couple I remember uh, learning about very well off. And, you know, the the idea of tithing 10% of what we earn, of what we make, and giving that to God, to the church, these people, this couple would take 10%, and they would try and live on the 10%, and then give away 90% of what they made through the year. So, like you say, you know, uh, those to whom much is given, much is requested, much is required. And you could see that lived out in their lives. One other thing, as we're getting towards the end of the hour here, that I think is also really important to talk about is the reality of spiritual warfare. And we only have a few minutes, but, you know, we live in an age where I think people don't really want to acknowledge or they don't want to talk about demonic powers that are at work in our world. Uh, might sound like, oh, is this person kind of crazy? Do they think that there's something out there? But there really, honestly, might be some sort of demonic oppression that could be holding us back from spiritual growth. Can you help us understand the reality of the spiritual realm that surrounds us and why we shouldn't ignore this or turn a blind eye to it? Never, and I, you bring a great point, because the biggest obstacle to our prayer life is Satan himself. He's real. 
this is not an imagined middle-aged figure in art form or anything like that. We know from Scripture, from Jesus, and we can look around the world and turn on the TV or look on Twitter and see just so much evil in the world. We don't get scared by that, but we also don't want to get uh, influenced by that. There are many people today involved in what we call the occult, all kinds of practices that break the first commandment. And it's very, very uh, more common in Western countries like ours where secularism is really taking root. People are still spiritually hungry. They kind of view the church incorrectly as an outdated, antiquated, uh, sick institution, which it's not. It's a holy mother full of love and intelligence and grace and reason, the real church. But people are attracted to the occult today, and there's all kinds of things going on. Certainly in ministry, I've encountered that a lot, um, and it's real. Again, we're not we're not going to be afraid of it, but we have to name it. We have to know it. And uh, there is. The demonic is real, and I think we a lot of people are... There's a tremendous amount of people today I know in, involved in Wicca, in Reiki, and all these kind of things, Ouija boards. It's like people are just, you know, everyone has a soul, and the soul is hungry looking for God. And if we don't know the true God, um, the one opposed to God, you know, certainly we're all a target. You know, I'm, every baptism is an exorcism prayer prayed, and I always tell the families, and they sit up straight when I say, you know, Satan's going to want your child not to go to Mass, not to believe he's loved, not to be able to forgive and be forgiven, not answer God's call to whatever it might be. And and they, they actually enjoy hearing that. They seem kind of relieved after acknowledging this battle that's going on that will go on even in this child's life in yours and mine till our last breath. But don't be afraid, but we have to acknowledge it. And I think I'm not being distracted by that too much. Some people can get too distracted on the demonic and lose their focus on Christ, but at the same time acknowledging evil's real, Satan's real, and certainly in great opposition to us making a good confession, going to Mass, um, being truthful with God, and letting not... not devil wants us to fall into shame after sin, not forgiveness, mercy, and love. So if, yeah. if we've sinned and we're stuck in shame somewhere, the evil ones rejoice at that because we, we won't trust God. We'll, we'll stay away like Adam and Eve and hide ourselves behind the tree, so to speak. Instead, um, the tree is the cross. So we don't want the Garden of Eden, that tree hiding behind that. We want the tree of life, the tree of Jesus Christ, dead and risen. And we, we bring ourselves to him, and we always find mercy and love there and never uh, condemnation. The devil condemns, Christ frees and forgives. So just to make sure we go to the right side of things yeah. after we all fail, we just got to make sure we go to the Lord and not, not let his thoughts in our minds keep us from the love of God. Well, and, you know, as you're saying that, too, it makes me think it's a great opportunity to daily pray for the protection and the assistance from your guardian angel, as well as that prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in that spiritual battle. Father, we're down to about 30 seconds here. Could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing, maybe especially that we all persevere, that we stay strong in the faith uh, as we conclude the hour today. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for this program. Bless all those right now listening to these words, that they know your words, your word of life that is Jesus Christ, that we may never be discouraged, uh, never be without your friendship, your consolation, your promise, and your love every day of our life. Even when we don't feel it, we know it's real. God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Marcel Tallon, thank you so much for being with us here on The Inner Life today. Look forward to having you back again sometime soon. I want to say a thank you to Nick Santovich and Mariana Gomez for their help in producing this hour. Of course, you can go back and hear the entire hour if you joined us late. You can find that at RelevantRadio.com and on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass is up next. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another great episode of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio.